Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. And we want to look at this again, the Lamb, the Blood, the Resurrection. Because I believe it's important as I was studying on this, I was asking the Lord if I should continue this series. And uh, he basically said to me, he said, uh, in the season that you're in, which is the the resurrection season, uh, yes, because you want to keep people pointed to what I've done. And uh, in Hebrews 9, and we want to look specifically at the blood today. We talked about the lamb last week. We want to look specifically at the blood today. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. After the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden uh, pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over in the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot speak particularly. Now, he says, when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, for not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. Then it says, thus, or the Holy Ghost, thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. The Phillips translation says, By these things the Holy Spirit means us to understand that the way to the holy place was not yet opened. All right? The way to the holy place was not yet opened. So we can say the way into the holy place was not yet manifest. It was not made clear yet. Uh, The way into the holiest was not without blood. Notice what it says, that the high priest went alone once every year Not without blood. All right? So we can see that even in the natural uh, uh, tabernacle, the holy place, even in the natural sense, the priest did not enter without the blood. And since the fall of Adam, blood has been our approach to God. All right? In the book of Leviticus 17, we see something here that is so important. And it says this, for the life, Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So notice he says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So we know this, that in just the natural circumstances, that an extreme loss of blood results in the loss of life. Why? Because when that blood is lost, ultimately the life of that individual is, is, is draining out. Yeah. All right? And so he says that the life is in the blood. And then he says that when the blood is offered on the altar, it has redemptive or redeeming power. Because understand that it was not just blood that was offered on the altar, it was the life of the atoning victim that was offered on the altar. Amen. 
That's why, that's why even in Scripture where something like capital punishment is concerned, uh, God said if you take a person's life, your life is required. All right? Why? Because life for life. In order for us to have new life, a life had to be sacrificed. In order for us to become like God, one who was already like God had to be sacrificed. And the reason Jesus had to shed his blood, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the reason he had to shed his blood was the life of God was in his blood. Amen. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, I want to show you that our approach to God has always been on the basis of blood. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21. And of course, this is after that Adam and Eve had fallen and the Lord is talking with them. And uh, now evidently they were standing there before him uh, unclothed at that moment. And then he says in verse 21, unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Coats of skins and clothe them. Now, this is the first indication we have of an innocent life being given for sin. Because he made coats of skins where he got it from somewhere. And I understand that there's the argument that, well, God could have created. I understand that. But he took those skins from somewhere in order to cover the shame that sin had produced. Because Adam and Eve, obviously... They could not approach God. They could not be in the presence of God with uh, 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 sin and, and, and this condemnation and this guilt. And the, the Lord God created or, or took these skins and placed them on them in order to cover that shame, to cover that guilt. But notice something. He did not take it away. He covered it. Amen. Now, here's why. Because at that moment, there was no life that had redemptive power in its blood. Atonement and redemption are far different. Atonement is to cover. The, the blood of these animals atoned for Adam and Eve's sins. They covered them, being signified by the fact that those skins covered them. When Jesus gave His blood, it did not cover what you had done. It removed what you had done. And only the life of God can do that. Amen. So important. And so this is the first indication that we have. And it's, it's important to see this. An innocent life was given for sin. Innocence had to be the key. Hallelujah. You know, when you think about the, 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 the blood of bulls and goats and, 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 and lambs and animals all through the Old Testament, all of those animals were innocent. They were all innocent. All right? And they gave their life to atone. Hallelujah. But in order to completely repair and reconcile and make new the... the diminished blood of an animal had to be replaced with a perfect man's blood. Amen. Because even though that animal was innocent, it could not redeem. It could only cover. It could only atone for. In Genesis 4 and verse 4, it says, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, we've read this very often and, and, and taught on it, but notice that it says that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. Now, 
here's the problem with that is I'm not saying that these weren't the best of his crops. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But there's something absent here in his offering. Blood. All right? There's no blood there. And then it says that Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. One translation says, the Lord was pleased with Abel and his offering, but with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. Now, there's attitudes and things that go into this, but ultimately what we see here is that Abel offered the firstlings of his flock and that God accepted his sacrifice because, number one, of his faith, that's what Hebrews 11 says, and of the right sacrifice. So important. Now, all of this is pointing to something. There's something that you put faith in today to be saved. It's in the blood of Jesus. If there's no blood, there's nothing to put faith in. Cain basically had nothing to put faith in because it wasn't the right offering. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock, which required a, 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 a atonement. It required a stand-in and life for life. That vegetable could not give its life for a person. But the firstlings of the flock could. Amen. So important. Because when we talk about the blood of Jesus and you plead the blood of Jesus and you declare the blood of Jesus over your home and over your life, it's, it's, not, it's not just blood in the sense that we think it is blood that lives forever. It's blood that has a power in it. Even yet today, although it was shed over 2,000 years ago, and theologically speaking, it was shed from the foundation of the world. Amen. So when you put the blood of Jesus around you, you're not just pleading blood in what we think. It's the life. It's the life of God that's guarding my home and guarding me and guarding my family and guarding everything that we do. That's why, that's why your salvation can never be taken from you. You cannot just lose it because it was bought by an enduring eternal substance called the blood of the Lamb of God. And so people that will teach that you can just lose your salvation and, and you know, it's just, whoop, it's gone. They're denying the power of the blood of Jesus. The Bible says that the power in salvation is this, is that God can keep you. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you may be facing, God can keep you. Oh, glory be to God. Amen. Amen. I'm hearing everybody hear amen, and I'm hearing amens online by faith. Amen. Hallelujah. That, that's, that's what's so important is, is to understand that the blood is a keeper. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do, do, do you see that? And, and that's why the blood once applied to a person's heart. People say, well, you sound like those once saved, always saved. Once you're saved, you, all, you, all, you are always saved unless you walk away from the blood and you say, I don't want anything to do with that. I want nothing to do with God. Um, God's not going to make you be saved against your will. Amen. But for the believer, that's why no sin can harm your salvation because it was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Peter said, as of a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. That's why everything that you're dealing with in this season that we're in, it's temporary. It, it, it doesn't matter how long it goes on. We know what the Lord has said. But it doesn't matter, folks. It's temporary. The blood is what is never temporary. It's still on the mercy seat in heaven. It's still speaking better things than the blood of Abel. Amen. It's, it's still there. And when you plead the blood, the blood goes into activity. The blood goes into action. Amen. I've had, I've had people say over the years, well, you know, pleading the blood. I don't know about that blood stuff. I don't know about pleading the blood. You better plead the blood. Amen. And, and you know, when you say, I plead the blood, in other words, I'm pointing to the blood. It's like standing in a courtroom and they say, sir, how do you plead? And you say, I plead innocent. Right? That's my plea. Innocent. Hallelujah. 
well, this is coming and that's coming and you did this and you do, I plead the blood. Yeah, but I was there when you messed up. I know, but I plead the blood. Right? Because it's not just covering, it has removed it. And, and when we talk in terms of sin, and, and that's just an easy illustration, but it's anything. People will say, well, I just feel bad because I doubted God. Did you ask Him to forgive you? Yes, then He don't remember it. Why? The blood. Amen. Remember what we taught last week? That the blood of Jesus would purge your conscience from dead works so you could serve the living God. Amen. If you've ever missed God, and it, it was probably early on in your, in your Christian walk, but if you've ever missed God, you felt like there was something you needed to do more of to never do that again. Well, I, I wasn't praying enough or I wasn't studying enough. That might be true. But did you know prayer can be a dead work if you're just doing it because you think it'll please God more? Or, or even reading the Word. Well, how could reading the Word be a dead work? I knew a guy one time that, that was a good man, and I met him in prison, a good man, but he was just so conflicted. Uh, he was the worship leader of the, of, the, of the prison praise team, and he was so conflicted, and I was preaching one day, and I said, the enemy will do his best to get you wrapped up in things where the Word's concerned, and it becomes legalism. That you got to read so many chapters a day, right? That you got to read, you know, so many verses a day and so many chapters a week and read through the whole Bible in a year. Well, I mean, if you have a Bible reading plan, you want to do that, that's great. But do it for the right reason. Well, here's what he said. And I, I told him, I said, and you still feel condemned and you feel like you're not doing enough. And, and I noticed while I was ministering, he was just sitting over there really taking it in. And he came to me after service. He said, Pastor... He said, you helped me so much because he said, every morning I read a chapter out of the Old Testament. I read a chapter out of the major prophets, a chapter out of the minor prophets, a chapter out of the poetry books, a chapter out of uh, the, the Gospels, and a chapter out of the New Testament. So that's six chapters a day. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But here's what he said, because I felt like if I didn't do that, I wasn't pleasing God. When the blood of Jesus was applied to your heart, it was evidence that you perfectly pleased God. Amen. 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 And, and no amount of dead works is going to make that blood work any better. Amen. You know, if, and, 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 and uh, many of us in here have had children and, and grandchildren are going to have grandchildren. Amen. Or, or, you know, even, and, and I'll even apply it down this way. I know uh, uh, Richard and Kim, they have their puppies. Amen. They're, they're doggies. Amen. Those are their kids. Amen. And, and Vernon has uh, uh, Pastor Larry. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Lord, now I'm joking. Amen. But here's, here's the point is, you know, we know this, and it's a simple illustration. Uh, my children carry my blood. They're, they're not just people. They're my children. Now, what makes them mine? The blood. Right? Amen. Well, well, you know, what about in the case of adoption? Then they're mine legally. They belong to me. Right? And, and, and notice this. You, you've never done this either, I hope. But you never made a decision about what you would do for your child especially in the area of necessities, based on what they had done or not done. Because there's blood there. Right? That, that's why a sibling or even a cousin, right? If, if they get in trouble, you're there. Right? If you fight them, you fight us all. Why? Because there's blood. Yeah, but they did something wrong. And I don't agree with what they did. But I'm not going to sit back and let you whoop them. Right? Or whatever the case may be. It's the same way with the Father. The blood was applied to your heart. It was applied to your spirit. Nothing where dead works are concerned can increase the ability of that blood in your life. Listen, everything that you do is on the basis of the love of God for what He did for you. 
And anytime you turn it into a dead work, you lose the power of the thing. Oh, glory to God. And so what, what we see here that, a, that Cain tried to do was bring something that was a dead work. It could have no life in it because there was no blood. Abel brought something that had life in it. It was life for life. And the indication that we have there is that God slayed those animals and put the coats on Adam and Eve, and then that became a statute. That became a directive. Now, in the book of Exodus 12, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, I, I don't think, but I might. <laughs> we'll see. But we, 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 we read this last week. It says concerning the lamb that was, that was slain to put the blood on the doorpost, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. Now, this is important because I need you to see this. I made mention of this last week, and I didn't expound on it greatly. But when you read through, especially the four Gospels, very often Jesus refers to the house as our life. Uh, one scripture that comes to mind is when he says there was a certain man that built his house on the sand. And the storms came and the floods rose and, and the wind beat against it and great was the fall of it. But it says there was another one that built his house, his life, on the rock. And we know that it stood. Amen. Well, this is a type and a shadow of the believer. And notice where the blood's at. On their house. So when you got born again and redeemed, the blood of Jesus was placed on your house, placed on your spiritual home. And notice it says, And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you to destroy you or for a destruction. So what does that mean? Any plague that may be running rampant in the earth because of the blood on my house, it must pass over. And it will not be to me a destruction. So what the world is dealing with, it's not going to be a destruction for us. Because the blood is on our house. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. See, that, that's shouting ground because whatever else may be a challenge and whatever else may be a conflict during this season, it can't touch me and it can't touch my family and we're going to come out of it better than we came into it. I believe, and Lord, I'll say that by the Spirit. I believe during this time that you're going to get raises and bonuses. I believe that they're going to find favor for you in the name of Jesus. There are people under the sound of my voice, you're going to get promoted just because you have no fear and you're willing to work or you're willing to do whatever, even if it be remotely. You're going to be promoted and you're going to, oh, Lord, I see that. And I see, I see uh, name tags on desk. <laughs> that were reserved for other people, but they got over into doubt and they got over into fear, but you've been standing strong. And it's actually several, several levels up from where you were. And even, even though it didn't look like it was going to happen, it's going to happen because you put your faith in the blood and God will preserve you. And just like he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt with the wealth of a nation, the body of Christ shall come out of this crisis with their needs fully supplied, their desires fully met, and they will come out of it prospering in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, I believe God. I believe God. Ha, ha, ha. So, so, so if you notice, it will not be for a destruction. The King James says to destroy you. The center column reference is for a destruction. Now, it's important to understand that because the blood of the lamb was a token. And we talked about a token. It was a sign. It was proof that those inside were redeemed. Amen. They, they had a sign on them. Well, the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those that He can show Himself mighty on the behalf of. 
uh, the word says, I believe it's in the book of Isaiah, that God has your picture tattooed on his hand. And I think that's so interesting that it uses the phrase of a tattoo. Because, you know, even in the day and age we live in, that's not easy to get rid of. Right? So every time God looks at his hand, he sees you. Amen. He, he never forgets. And, and so no matter what we are facing, and this is in any area, not just the, the season that we're in, no matter what, look, folks, when this all dies down, you're still going to have challenges. I mean, you know, you know what's the hardest thing right now for people? The inconvenience. And, and, and I understand. I, I mean, I do. I understand. Especially those of you that have small children. I mean, they're home all day. Right? And it's way hallelujah. <laughs> right? And, and, and you can't just tell your wife, come on, honey, let's go, let's go to a restaurant and eat. We like that. We enjoy that. But it's just inconvenient. It'll come back. It, it, it will all come back. Life will get back to normal. Right now, even in your house or wherever you're at, I know in Kansas the restrictions are a little higher right now, but here's the thing. The blood is still upon your home and, and the inconvenience will go away. Don't get into the problems that everybody else is getting into. We have no fear because we're covered. Hallelujah. And, 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 and just you going about your life as normal as you can will be a testimony to everybody around you. Amen. For, for instance, none, none, of, none of the calendar events on our calendar have we canceled. I, 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 amen? I, I, I believe that we're going to be able to have them. People say, well, what if you can't? Well, if I can't, then I can't. But I'm not going to let it enter into a thing of I won't. If I can, I am. You understand? But here, here's the thing. So you going about your life as normal as you can. Uh, Pastor Michelle and I are scheduled to move next month. We're keeping it on the schedule. We have no plans of not doing it. Why? Because we're going to keep as normal a life as we can. Because it hasn't changed as far as what we got to do and, and the way we have to do it. We're doing it differently, but it's, we're doing it. Amen. And, and so are you. Oh, glory. In Exodus 29. See, I told you I might take a little longer there. Hallelujah. I'm glad I did. The Holy Spirit witnessed to it. So thank you, Lord. Uh, Exodus 29 and verse uh, 37. He says, seven days you shall make an atonement for the altar. Now that word atonement there, and just for the sake of, of, of your information, it's one of the times that atonement in the Old Testament doesn't mean necessarily to cover. It means to satisfy or to expiate. All right, to satisfy. And it says this, seven days you'll make an atonement for the altar and sanctify it. Or you sh you'll do this and it will satisfy the requirements that God had. And then it says this, notice, it will be an altar most holy. And, and sanctify and holy, ultimately, holy means to set aside. Sanctify is to set aside for a purpose. It literally means to fill the hand. All right, for a reason. And so notice it says here that the altar will be sanctified and it will be a holy altar. And then notice, whatever touches the altar shall be holy. This is important. And, and, I, and I'll tell you why. The blood on the altar was to sanctify and make holy. In uh, Hebrews 13 and verse 10, we see something? Oh, hallelujah. Hebrews 13 and verse 10. Let's start in verse 9. Be not carried about with different and strange doctrines, for it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. Notice, we have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. Well, that's the priest. And it says, we have, a, we have an altar. This is so important because he said in the book of Exodus that when the blood touched the altar, the altar was sanctified and it was an altar most holy and whatever touched the altar was made clean, was made holy. Well, the Bible says that Jesus, 
took His blood into the holy place in heaven and offered it up on the altar. Hallelujah. So when you think about coming into 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 the throne room boldly, you are coming into the throne room boldly, but remember where God's throne is at in heaven. It's in the mercy seat. It's between the cherubim. The Bible says in the Old Testament that God told Moses, you make the ark and you make it this certain uh, circumference. And he said, then you make the lid out of beaten gold and make those cherubims. And he said, and it shall come to pass that I will come down and I will meet you between those cherubim. That's where I'm going to be. There was no place to sit. Thank you. There was no place to sit in the Old Testament tabernacle except where God sat. The priest never sat down. God said, I'll come and I'll sit between the cherubim and I'll communicate with you from there. Where did he communicate to the people from a place of mercy? That's why when people say God's this, God's mean, God's ugly, God's that. No, 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 no. He communicates from the place of mercy. He could have communicated to them from the brazen altar that represented judgment. He could have communicated with them from any other piece of furniture, and he chose the mercy seat. So that was a shadow of of the heavenly throne room. God, his throne is on mercy. And when you enter into the throne room, and you enter in there needing something from God, especially in terms of when you were born again, you touch that heavenly altar in the Spirit, and you were made holy. We have an altar. Amen. Oh, that's so powerful. Because it says, whatever touches it is made clean. Amen. And And that's where the old folks had this saying, I'm putting it all on the altar. I'm putting my mind on the altar. I'm putting my heart. I'm I'm putting my flesh on the altar. And some of them meant, you know, as a sacrifice, like Paul said in Romans 12. But here's the thing. Whatever you put on the altar becomes holy. So my mind is set apart for God's service. My my flesh is set apart for God's service because it's touched the altar. My Lord, that was worth combing your hair and getting on the couch for. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and I'm not diminishing that. that. Your home right now this morning is your church. Your families, they're gathered around. They're hearing this. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. In uh, 1 Peter 1. And uh, verse 18. It says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation or your useless lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So notice he says, this is how you were redeemed. And being redeemed is so important because redeemed is deliverance from slavery by purchase. Deliverance, remember this, that uh, for a slave to be redeemed, somebody had to take their place. Their place had to be taken, ultimately. And he redeemed by purchase. They had to be purchased out of slavery. So, in other words, someone had to take their place, or someone had to buy them out of slavery for that purpose. And we've taught extensively on that in the past. But this redemption includes everything that God does for a sinner. Everything. Meaning, pardon of sin to full deliverance of the body by resurrection. So, from the pardon of my sin, and and remember something. We use these words, and very often, especially in modern days, they're lost. The pardon of my sin. Amen. I had no choice when I was born. I was born a sinner. You were born a sinner. I was born in bondage to sin. I had no I had no choice. I was sentenced to death. Because no, nobody's born born again. Everybody's born innocent. Everybody's born a sinner. 
But then they start, if they're, if, unless they come to know Christ at an early age, they start living that lie. So everything that I did had to be pardoned because there was a death sentence over me. But when I accepted the blood of Jesus, I was pardoned. Amen. And set free. So pardon of sin, the victory in the life that I live, and even the full deliverance of the body by resurrection. The blood is so strong that even believers that have died, that died hundreds of years ago, 50 years ago, believers that will die in the day and age we live in, ever when Jesus returns for the church and the trumpet of the Lord sounds, that blood is still speaking that they're going to be raised from the dead and ever be with Christ in the air. I've been delivered. I've been delivered from death, the power of death. On that day when the trumpet sounds, death is not even going to be able to hold on to my physical body because of the blood that ever speaks. So right now on the grave, if we could say it this way, on the grave of every believer is a token, a sign, proof that they're born again. And when that trumpet sounds, whatever those notes are, it's going to be right in line with that token, that sign that's on their, on their tombstone. And it'll be like music to their ears. And their body will, will come up out of the ground. And in the air, their spirit and their body will come back together as one in a perfect, complete unit. And they'll be glorified and ever live with Christ. That's how, that's how deep the blood goes. It, it did not just pardon me. It guarantees me physical resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See why this is so important? Because God doesn't only think about the current. If, If God only wanted to cleanse you from sin, then He would cleanse you from sin and pardon you and take you home. But He wants you to live in this world pardoned. He wants you to live in this world free, redeemed from sin, sickness, disease, and the curse. And, and even as proof, when, when, when you die, if you die before the Lord comes, and, and go to the grave, it is proof that you're going to be raised from the dead, physically, bodily resurrection, because the blood is there. Why? Because Jesus did it. And everything Jesus did, I'm going to do. That, 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 that means my spirit is going to heaven, but one day I, my body is going to raise from the dead because the blood has sealed that. Amen. And people say, well, what about people that are cremated? What about them? If they were born again, those particles will come back together. God hadn't lost track of what goes where. Amen. Despite what some people are saying this day and age we live in, Amen. 1 John 1. Am I helping you this morning? 1 John 1 and uh, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. The the context there, the the, the, uh, nuance that we have there is that it's a continual cleansing. As we fellowship with Jesus, the blood of Jesus Christ constantly cleanses us from sin. It can't build up. Hallelujah. It, it cannot build up. You know, you, you, you might tell someone, if, if you consistently do this, all right, then you'll, 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 you'll keep the clutter out of whatever it may be. Or, or if you consistently do this... Uh, uh, you know, you, you, just, you just do it every day. I had a guy get in my car one time, and, and he said, how do you keep this thing so clean? You, every day. Every other day. You go, you vacuum it out, you clean it, you wash it, you do whatever you got to do. Because what's it do? It prevents buildup. Right? He says, if I walk in the light, as he is in the light, I have fellowship with him, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin. Consistently, constantly. Amen. Then in uh, Revelation 1 and 5 and 6, it says, talking about uh, 
who this letter is from, and John says, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In his own blood. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ, we talked about it, cleanses us from all sin. But what makes the blood of Jesus so, so powerful? Acts 20 tells us. Mm-hmm. Acts 20 and 28. And it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and all the flock that the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the life of God was in the blood of Jesus. That's what makes it so powerful, is it was God's own blood. Now, how is that? Well, Jesus was the Son of God. And we made mention earlier that my children carry my blood. So it was not just the blood of a sacrifice. That's why I, I heard, a, uh, I heard a, a, a person one time uh, that was a, uh, they were actually a minister and they were talking about the murder of Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't murdered. Right. He chose to do that. Yeah. Yeah. If, 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 it was, if he was just a victim, then it wasn't a sacrifice. That's right. And it had to be a willing sacrifice. And notice why it's so powerful, because the blood of Jesus contained the blood of God, the life of God himself. So the life of God was in the blood. In uh, Hebrews 4, thank you, Father. And verse 15. It says, For we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities or our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. So the first reason it was so powerful is it was God's blood. The second reason is it was sinless blood. It was never tainted with sin. For something to cleanse sin, it must have never been touched by sin. And Jesus' blood was never touched by sin. Jesus was tempted uh, by sin, but he wasn't tempted with sin. In, in other words, the temptation was there, but he was never tempted with the temptation, if that makes sense. Sin held no allurement for Jesus. He was tempted to sin, but not tempted by it. Why? Sinless blood. He had to make a choice, but he did. In John 1 and 29, we talked about this last week, where John said that uh, the latter part of that verse, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So the third thing is that it was the blood of, of the lamb that God provided. Death, according to Romans 6.23, is the punishment for sin. The wages of sin is death. God gave Israel the blood on the altar as a covering for sin. And the death of the animal was received as the payment of the person's sin. But we talked last week where the word says that that could never make the comers thereunto perfect. And that every year there's a remembrance made of sin. Well, all of that was temporary. Remember the first thing we said? It said they would bring the blood into the holy place, but the way into the holiest was not yet manifest. All of this was temporary waiting for Jesus. Now, we're going to flip around in the book of Hebrews for a a couple of minutes. We're uh, on the downhill run now. But when you start talking about the blood of Jesus, there's so much 
that scripture has to say about it, that you can't just get it all in in, in a couple of scriptures. Uh, Hebrews 10 and 1, let's contrast some things here. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. Then in verse 14 it says, now that's the blood of bulls and goats. But in verse 14 we see the blood of Jesus. By one offering, He's perfected forever them that are sanctified. Forever. So the blood of bulls and goats could only do it for a year, but the blood of Jesus did it forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, Hebrews 10, 2. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. Then in Hebrews 9 and 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So he says, if that sacrifice, in Hebrews 10, if that sacrifice was everything that God wanted, it would have purged their conscience from sin, but it didn't. But then he says in Hebrews 9, 14, that uh, the blood of Christ will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So the blood of animals could not purge your conscience, but the blood of Jesus can. Hallelujah. Then in Hebrews 10 and 4, it says it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. But then Hebrews 9, 12 says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So he said the blood of bulls and goats, it was impossible for it to take away sin. But it says Jesus went in one time and attained eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. God. See the contrast. Jesus' blood being offered took complete obedience to the Father's will. And self-sacrifice of Jesus' own desires. And and we see evidence of that. In the garden when Jesus was praying. And of course you remember the, the, the story. His sweat became his great drops of blood. He was under such pressure. Intense pressure. And the intense pressure that he was, that he was up against was the cross. And uh, I've read different commentaries, and, and some of them, uh, you know, they say that, that, that Jesus' battle wasn't with his flesh. Well, it was. It was with his flesh. Because the way he prayed, and if you read it in Matthew, it says he prayed this way three times. It says he prayed, and you remember what he said, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Well, what was the cup? Death. And, and, and not just physical death, spiritual death. Jesus was well aware from the beginning what it was going to cost. Separation from the Father. And he said, if it's your will. Now, there, there are people that will say he was praying about dying in the garden. No, he wasn't. He wasn't praying about dying in the garden. He was under intense pressure. So much so that the stress was causing his sweat to turn to, to blood. In other words, the capillaries in his, in his, in his forehead and his head were bursting and that blood was mingling with sweat. But the point is, it wasn't getting out of the garden. It was what's ahead of me. It's what he was praying about. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Remember, he went and woke the disciples up. Y'all get up. And then it says, he went back and fell down and prayed again. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Then he went and woke him up again and said, okay, all right, sleep on. And then Matthew says he went back and prayed again the third time saying the same thing. So we know from Scripture that it took three times of Jesus praying to pull his flesh under the control of his spirit. But he did it. He had to. That was the only way. There was no other way. That there was no other being, no other man, no other person that, I, you know, sometimes people get this idea that if Jesus hadn't accomplished it, it, you know, God would have found another way. Jesus was the plan. 
God invested the future of the world in Jesus. If Jesus don't get it done, it can't be done. And he knew that. And so he pulled his flesh under the control of his spirit, meaning it was complete self-sacrifice of his own desires. That's why the desires of the flesh can be silenced and stopped by the blood of Jesus because it was Jesus who shed his blood for that reason and the power to live your life the way you want to live it is in the blood. Amen. Because it was the life of God in the blood of Jesus that allowed him to be able to live the life that he lived. And people will say, but that was Jesus. But the Bible says that you have received the life of God to dwell on the inside of you, and you're not anything normal. You are a believer. You are a son or a daughter of God in the midst, Paul said, of a crooked generation. Amen. Amen. And I just have to do what Jesus did. Not my will, your will. That's it. You know, sometimes your will is to feel bad about maybe areas where you missed it. And it might be sin or it might be disbelieving God or whatever it may be. Well, what do you have to do? Father, not my will, your will. I really want to feel bad about that. I really want to feel guilty, but I'm I'm going to choose not to do that. I'm going to take your will. And your will says I'm guiltless. Your will says I'm spotless. Your will says I'm holy. Your will says that I'm justified. Blameless. Paul said that twice. He said that we could walk in this world blameless. Why? The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. This is the power in the blood. This is so important. That opened heaven. It opens heaven for the sinner. The blood opens heaven. Notice this in Hebrews 10. And we're going to say right here in Hebrews uh, till the, uh, the end of the message. In Hebrews 10, it says, verse uh, 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he says, Sacrifice and burnt offering you would not, but a body you prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then said I, I come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do your will, O God. Above, when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin, you would not. Neither had pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then he said, I come to do your will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. He took away the system of sacrifice in the Old Testament so he could establish the system of sacrifice in the New Testament, which is one sacrifice for all people for all time. And and so notice, the first has been taken away. And it doesn't matter how how people want to try to get into that and apply that, they can't, you can't, Something that has been taken away has no ability. The, 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 the law of works and the law of sacrifice has no hearing in the throne room of heaven. God, God is not more pleased with somebody because they observe a day or a time or a season. It's He takes away the first that he can establish the second. The second could not be established if the first was still in operation. Amen. Oh, glory. Then uh, you don't have to go there, but Isaiah 53.10 says he bore the sins of many. He bore them, took away the first, that he could establish the second. Then Hebrews 13 And verse 20, what has the power of the blood done? This is so important because I need to see this. Verse 20, Hebrews 13, verse 20, what has the power of the blood done? We're going to talk about uh, uh, two things that the blood has done. Verse 20, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and notice how he did it. 
through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The blood of the everlasting covenant. Now, there is some uh, room for discussion here and, and, and uh, everyone when we see this word everlasting covenant, they apply it to different things. But here is, in my study, what I have found out. The everlasting covenant refers to something. And the, the Abrahamic covenant lasts forever, and I mean, God will never change His mind. But it refers to something. It refers to that meeting that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had before time ever was. Because this is a covenant that was between the Father and Jesus. And the covenant essentially was this, that when you go and you become the sacrifice for sin, and your sacrifice and your blood is shed, you're not only going to have to go to the grave, you're going to have to go to hell. You're going to have to go to the place of, of, of the spirits that are in bondage. And here's the covenant. I will raise you again on the third day. Well, he could only accomplish his part of the covenant if the blood of the covenant was present. In every covenant that you read, there was blood. The, the Edenic covenant, there was blood. Uh, the, the Noahic covenant, there was blood. When, when Noah came out of, of the, the ark and we see the rainbow, the first thing he did was sacrifice. And God said, okay, then here's what I'm going to do. You and your descendants go and be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Right? There was the blood of the covenant. Over and over again we see that. Abraham, the blood of the covenant. Abraham slaying the animals, but then finding the ram on the mountaintop. The, the lamb was Jesus that was going to be the once and for all sacrifice. And before time ever was, God said, I'm entering into covenant with you, and it will be an everlasting covenant. And when you shed your blood for the sins of many, because you did that, I will not leave, Acts says, I will not leave your soul in hell, but I will bring you out because of this covenant. And this everlasting covenant that God made before time ever was is still what opens the door into heaven for the sinner. It brought Jesus from the grave and people are still born again based on receiving the sacrifice of this man, Jesus Christ, into their life. And all of these multiplied thousands or hundreds of thousands of years from the time the Trinity met together, God is still keeping His word because there's an everlasting covenant that He'll save whoever will come by the blood of Jesus. Woo, glory to God. Amen. So throw away, throw away what you think you have to do to get God to forgive you or to get perfect redemption. That was settled before time ever was. Amen. So it opened heaven. The blood opened, or excuse me, opened the grave. And it was through the shedding of blood that Jesus gained the right to rise again and obtain eternal life because of His blood. Secondly, and we'll go to Hebrews 10, and this will be our last point. Secondly, the blood opened heaven. The blood opened heaven. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12, it says, But Christ being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place and obtained eternal redemption for us. The blood opened heaven. Now, this is the greatest expression of faith in the blood of Jesus. This is proof that we have fully received its work, which is, what is it? That we enter boldly. Because the blood has opened heaven. Now, I'll say this in closing. And that's why you'll hear people say things and they'll talk about things and they'll talk about the courtroom of heaven. And uh, I've heard people say things about that. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is some people have this idea that there's uh, uh, court cases going on in heaven and that the devil's pleading his case and Jesus, as our attorney, is pleading our case. He does make intercession for us, but understand, first of all, that the blood, had the, the, blood the Bible says in Hebrews, 
cleansed the heavenly utensils of worship. It's important. Because it was talking about the utensils on the earth being cleansed. The blood cleansed the heavenly utensils of worship. It's holy. It's sanctified. It's set apart. There is no sin in heaven. That's why Satan has no access to it. Because he is sin personified. The Bible says that he's the accuser of the brethren. Revelation says he's been cast down. This is so important because understand something. You're never going to walk into the throne room of God and hear the accuser. Because he's not there. He's not there. And, and anytime you do something boldly, it's because you have a sense of belonging and a sense of worth and you have a sense that, that this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, you do know your chair's there. And God said in His mind in Ephesians that you are seated with Christ. Well, that, that should produce boldness. Yeah, but pastor, if you knew what I did. I, I don't, but God did, and he still said, come on. That, that's so important. Amen. Because you diminish the blood. When, when you fail to act in faith about what God said belongs to you because of what other people may think, because they know what you did, you diminish the power of the blood in your life. You've got to quit caring about what anybody thinks. And rest in the fact that God, the scripture says, washed you with the blood of Jesus. Any accusation is in your mind or from yourself. The enemy in your mind or from yourself. Hallelujah. And so be less concerned about what people think and more concerned about what God thinks. Amen. Because as we're closing, when you enter boldly somewhere, if you've ever been in someone's house and uh, maybe a good friend and they say, well, you don't just make yourself at home. Well, I know what they mean, be comfortable. But you know, most of the time, we don't really make ourselves to home. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Generally, because we don't have the equipment there to make ourselves to home <laughs> or whatever. But, but, but here's the thing. You know, even in a home where somebody said, make yourself at home. If I want something to drink, I still ask. Because it's really, it's your home. It's, it's, I'm comfortable there. Now, there is an exception. Even at my age, mid-50s. When I go to mom and dad's house, I don't ask, can I go in the refrigerator? I'm home. That's my dad. Right? I, I, don't, I don't ask, can I use the restroom? I'm home. I'm bold. Why? Because there's blood between us. <sighs> there's blood between you and God. And when you enter the throne room, especially after you're born again, you're entering in as a child of God. And it produces boldness. The sinner comes to God with trepidation, fear, and guilt. And the blood takes all that away. So proof that you believe the blood has opened heaven is that you don't, and I'll, and I'll use a good Texas colloquialism, you don't mealy mouth around with God. You go boldly and say, I desire this, I want this, I need this. If you miss it, you go. I heard an old preacher say this a long time ago. He said, man, if you miss it, just get on your knees and say, God, I blew it. Because he knows anyway. Right? And receive your forgiveness instantaneously and then get up and move on. Can I share one last thing with you before we go? It's early. I mean, y'all are going to get out of here early today. And you it's but uh, there was a, a minister one time, and uh, man, he had missed the mark. He had, he had missed the mark, and uh, uh, he went to his pastor, and his pastor was pastoring another church in, in the, the same city, same vicinity. And they were having a, uh, a uh, conference that night, and 
this pastor had missed it and, and he, you know, he wanted to, to get it right. So he had repented before the Lord and he went to his pastor and told him, he said, uh, you know, I've missed it. And he told him what had happened. And, and uh, uh, so he said, you know, I'm going to stay for service tonight. And of course they had him on the front row and, and he went up and was sitting on the front row and was feeling so guilty, you know, just for missing it. And uh, uh, his pastor got up and welcomed everybody to the conference. And, and uh, then he said, uh, and now we're going to ask Brother So-and-So to come up and pray over the conference and welcome the presence of God. And our, the, the, the minister said, you know, I just, my Lord, I felt lower than a snake's belly anyway. And he said, I thought, why is he doing this, you know? And something clicked, though, because uh, after he prayed, of course, you could feel the, he could feel the presence of God. But he said after he prayed, he went back down and sat down and, and uh, went after the service. His pastor had him with some other ministers. And his pastor looked at him and he said, uh, uh, I, I knew that I had to get you back into your mindset being right. And he said, that's why I did that. He said, and I knew how you were going to feel. He said, but here's, now Now understand, I know there are people who say, well, there's varying degrees of sin. There is. And I mean, you know, it doesn't matter necessarily what the man had done. I mean, he had not committed adultery or something of that nature, you know, that would require, uh, well, what do we call it? Re, you know, reinstatement or whatever it may be. But nonetheless, he had missed it. And it was enough to produce guilt. Yeah. And his pastor said, because you've got something to do for God and you've got to get back up and keep going. Regardless of how you feel. Well, see, his pastor had an understanding of being bold about the blood of Jesus. If you've repented about something, Scripture says God has forgiven you. So my question is then where is your boldness? Just get up. And come on back to the table. There's blood between you and God. God is your father. Jesus is your elder brother. You're, the throne room is not foreign to you. It's home. So I want to uh, I, I, I implore you. Just come on in. Make yourself at home. Because that's, that's Abba's house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God.